Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. The scripture for today's teaching is from Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal them, heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger and grieved the hardness of their heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning. You guys can grab a seat. Uh, If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Andrew. I get to serve as one of our pastors. It's great to have you. And uh, man, Aaron, Kara, welcome back from sabbatical. You guys were missed a lot over the last two months. Uh, If today's a day for you where you're kind of here and you've got questions about Jesus or Christianity or uh, even just about frontline, man, all of it's on the table. We're all uh, at various places in our relationship to Jesus. Some of us are trying to figure out what what it is that we believe. Uh, Some of us have been walking with Jesus for a long, long time. Even somebody like me who grew up in the church and has been following Jesus for a lot of years, I still have uh, questions or things that don't make sense or things that feel tough and challenging. And so I just want to invite you into that. You don't have to check your questions in at the door. You can come and bring them in and we're happy you're here. Uh, so we're in, we're in week eight of our Gospel of Mark series. And today I'm really excited to look at this text that we're going to be in two different stories, uh, both surrounding this idea of the Sabbath. So I want to take a second. I want to pray for us. And if you have a Bible, Mark 2 We'll be in Mark chapter two at the end and Mark chapter three at the beginning. Let me take a second and pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for um, each of the people in this room. As I look around and I see faces, some that I don't know and many that I do, God, I pray that you would move today through the preaching of your word by the power of your spirit. God, thank you that this is not um, a, a time where I have to come up with something profound. God, we just actually wanna sit underneath your word today. We want to sit in your presence today. We want to be shaped and changed today. So we invite you, God. I pray that you would come by the power of the Spirit. And where we need to be corrected, we invite you to correct us. Where we need to be told no, we ask that you would tell us no. Where we need uh, freedom today and joy today, we pray that you would freely give it. 
come and move in all the ways that we need it. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I grew up homeschooled and extremely sheltered, which probably makes me make much more sense to a lot of you, right? Uh, And if you're like, well, how homeschooled and how sheltered? Well, here's how sheltered I was. My first secular CD, air quotes around that, uh, was Lifehouse, right? And I hid that album from my parents. So if you don't know who Lifehouse is, you're not missing anything but really trashy, bad, early 2000s music that doesn't even really should be passed as secular. But that was, for me, that was the album that I was so afraid of that my dad might find and make me burn at some youth camp or something, right? So that's kind of the way I grew up. I grew up homeschooled and I grew up sheltered. Now, there's a lot of implications for that. Some good, to be honest, and some not so good. But one of the implications is that I really mastered the art of uh, laughing along when I didn't catch the cultural reference, right? So there's just things that were said to this day. If you know me well, you know this is still true. There are things that are said where just in an embarrassing amount of cultural references, they don't land with me. I don't get them. They're uh, different references that just go right over my head. And I'm put in that awkward scenario of like, do I just keep telling people that I, oh, I've never seen that movie. I don't know who that person is. I don't get that joke. I don't, you know, apparently you're reciting a song lyric and I don't know that that's a song lyric. I just thought you just were telling me a poem just now, you know? So that, that's my life. So what I do is I just kind of stare off in the distance, hoping you don't notice, or I start laughing along, hoping that you don't say, you know, define that reference. So that, that's me. I don't get references. Now, here's why I bring that up. Because today we're looking at a topic, we're looking at a concept in these two stories with Jesus that many of us don't have a grid for. This is a reference to the Sabbath that most of us are going to just kind of sit here and we're laughing along at a joke that we don't get. The Sabbath is something that many of us grew up either never hearing about, or if you're like me, this is how you envisioned Sabbath growing up. It was something that my grandparents did where all the, all the restaurants and all the grocery stores and all the gas stations were actually closed on Sunday. Why? Because it's the Lord's Day, and so we're going to shut down businesses, and you can't go get groceries, and you got to make sure and have enough on Saturday night to be able to make it through the day. And for a lot of you, that's all you know about Sabbath. Maybe you didn't even know that. For for me, uh, growing up, the word Sabbath was never used in my house, ever. I only heard of it when I would read scripture on occasion. And the only thing that I knew of that was sort of related to Sabbath was something that my family did where Sunday after church, in between Sunday morning and Sunday night, we had to do what was in my house called quiet rest time. Any, Any parents do quiet rest time? I'm a parent that is doing quiet rest time. But growing up for me, it was like being under house arrest, right? It was like, hey, you're gonna sit in your room in your rigid church clothes. Don't say a word. You can't read a book. If you wanna do anything, it's sleep. That's your option. You can sleep, right? That was, for me, growing up, the closest that I had to this idea of a Sabbath. So what's happening is there's this story where Jesus had just received two confrontations with the religious leaders of his day, both about food, and now he's about to step into two more confrontations with the religious leaders of his day, but this time it's not food, it's Sabbath. Jesus is always getting in trouble with the religious leaders of his day, and this one is about the Sabbath. So to make sense of these stories, we need to go back, not just back to our grandparents' era or their parents' era, but all the way back to the beginning of the story of Scripture. I want you to think about this with me, the Sabbath and creation. 
The idea of the Sabbath actually comes from the very first page of your Bible, which is fascinating. Listen to Genesis chapter 1 with new eyes. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very last verse in Genesis 1 says this, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So first verse, last verse, he's creating things. There's the sixth day. Then it rolls right into uh, chapter two, verse one. And there's something said that I find to be really intriguing. Here's what it says. Chapter two, verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he what? He rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Now there's this word rested used again and again in chapter two in those first few verses. And in Hebrew, that word rested is Shabbat. Can you you say Shabbat? That's a fun one to say, Shabbat. What's fascinating about the word Shabbat is it literally means uh, to cease from work. It means to be done. It's not the idea that you are exhausted, that you're overwhelmed, that you're like stressed out and you need to take a break. That's not what the word Shabbat means. The word Shabbat means that you're, you're pausing from all of your labor. Like a, imagine a day where you do a ton of good work and, and it's satisfying work and you take a break and you pause and you reflect on what you've done and you think, man, that was really something. I really did something special there. That was a beautiful set of work that just got accomplished. That's what the idea of Shabbat means. It's where we get the word Sabbath. And so here's the idea that God creates and he does this beautiful rhythm. And yet on the seventh day, he Sabbaths from all of his work. And what he does in doing this is he builds into the very fabric of time itself a seven-day cycle where humanity was designed to work six days and rest one day. It's fascinating, isn't it, that you can go to the most remote villages on the planet and they are going to have a calendar system that's set up on a seven-day cycle. In fact, there's been countries that have tried to change from seven-day to 10-day. I believe that uh, uh, Japan tried that at once. And it was like people literally started killing themselves. True story. They started committing suicide. And it just was not, the productivity went down. So in the very fabric of our culture and the very fabric of time itself, God built this rhythm where we're supposed to work six days and rest one. Now, something is said in, in, in this idea of Sabbath and creation in Genesis 1 and 2 that you need to grab a hold of, says that God blessed the day and he made it holy. He blessed it, meaning the day itself, this 24-hour period, holds within it the very power from God to restore you, to refresh you, to renew you. And he made it holy, meaning that, you know, there's places for different religions where you go to a place to experience the presence of God or the gods or whatever. There's a temple or a cathedral or whatever. But for for us, for followers of Jesus, for, for the people of Israel, it wasn't a place. It was a day where you encountered the very presence of God. It was a day where you would cease from all of your work and you would send everything through the grid of, is this rest and is this worship? This is a day of delight and a day of celebration a day of pausing on all that I've done and encountering the very presence of God. Sabbath and creation. Fast forward in the story and we get to the Exodus, the Sabbath and the Exodus. 
God redeems his people out of uh, Egypt. They're slaves in Egypt under cruel oppression, having to work seven days a week, never resting. And God delivers his people out of Egypt. He leads them to Mount Sinai. When they get to Mount Sinai, he gives them the 10 commandments. Now, here's the thing that you gotta get about the 10 commandments. It's not that God is saying, if you do these 10 things, I'll be happy with you. He's saying, you're already my people. I've delighted in you. I've chosen you. I love you. I'm gonna redeem you out of Egypt. And now that I've redeemed you by my mercy and love, I'm gonna form you to be my people and to live a separate way. I want you to live a different way so that the other pagan communities can be brought into that beauty, that they can see what it is to be a part of God's people and that they might become a part of God's people too. And so he leads them to the, this mountain, Mount Sinai, gives them the 10 commandments and the longest of the 10, can you guess what it is? It's about the Sabbath. Fascinating. Exodus 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God commands his people to rest. Now think about this. What does that tell you about the God of the Bible? He's like, hey guys, I want you to work hard for six days, but I want you to take one day and just throw a party. I want you to take one day and not do work. I want you to take a day for delight, cook a good meal, crack open a good bottle of wine, have some friends over that you enjoy. Do something that's gonna delight your heart in God and reconnect you to those around you that you love and your creator who adores you. This is a day, it's like God saying, I want you to have a Christmas celebration, right? Oh, well, twist my arm on that, okay? This is God saying, just slow down for a day and have fun, rest and worship. It's the longest command of the Ten Commandments. Now, this is so significant, the Sabbath, because it was one of the most core identities of the people of Israel. In fact, uh, theologian and scholar James Edwards says it this way. He says, two observances above all defined Jews and set them apart from the nations, circumcision and the Sabbath, which extended from sunset Friday until sunset Saturday. So if you were to ask someone in ancient Israel, hey, what makes you Jewish? They might say, well, we circumcise the, the young boys on the eighth day and we Sabbath every Friday night. That's what makes us Jewish. This is what sets us apart as the unique people of God. Now, with all that in mind, there's one last transition that you need to get before we jump into the actual story that we're in in Mark chapter two and Mark chapter three. And that's the transition of the Sabbath and the Pharisees, the Sabbath and the Pharisees. Something happened when the religious leaders uh, basically over time developed something that they called building a fence around the law. Here's the idea, that over time, the people of Israel kept compromising the Sabbath. Instead of working six days and resting one, they would actually start working seven days. They'd start breaking the Sabbath. They forgot to keep the Sabbath. And so a group of people arose called the Pharisees, which literally means the set-apart ones or the holy ones. And these are people that if you grew up in church, you automatically think of the Pharisees as the bad guys. Please don't do that. 
they actually weren't the bad guys. They were the good guys. They were the ones that were serious about God. They were devoted to his law. They were devoted to holiness. They wanted to actually take what God said seriously and build their life and shape their life around it. And so here they are. And what they're saying is, man, we don't want to get to the place where we accidentally break the Sabbath. So we're going to start to build all these laws around it so that we never, ever break it. So, so an idea is like this. Uh, it's really hard to define what work is. Uh, some of you, you might go on a jog and that's really restful to you. For me, if I'm running, then you need to call 911 because someone is chasing me to kill me, right? I will not run unless someone is trying to take my life. Um, but for me, I just bought a gravel bike. And yesterday morning on my Sabbath, I rode 14 miles around Draper and had a blast. That was restful for me. So it's hard to define what rest is. That might be really, really unrestful to you. Or, you know, so is doing dishes rest or is it work? Well, it's tough to know, isn't it? And so what the Pharisees did, because all the law said was just don't work, they built a fence around it and they're like, okay, well, here's what that means. By the time Jesus arrived on the scene, think about this, there were 39 different definitions of work that were all off limits. Not in scripture, but added to the law. 39 different definitions. Some of them you might expect, others were bizarre. Here's, here's a few. You couldn't tie a knot or untie any knots on the Sabbath. You couldn't sew more than one stitch. So one stitch is fine, but whoever needs to sew one stitch, right? You can sew one stitch, no more. You couldn't write more than one letter. You couldn't repair a fallen roof. If your roof caves in on the Sabbath, you gotta wait till the next day. You just can't do anything about it. Here's a really bizarre one. You couldn't set a dislocated foot or hand. Do you see what's happening here, right? They're saying, we don't even want to get close to breaking the Sabbath of work, so we're going to create all these other laws. We're going to build a fence around the law so that we don't actually break it. And here's what happened. Over time, the Pharisees, these religious leaders that actually had good intentions, they lost the plot line, and something meant to be a gift for the people of God of delight and joy and celebration and rest and refreshment became a heavy, heavy burden. And that's the context with which that you need to hear these stories that Jesus is interacting with these Pharisees through. All right, sound good? Now we're gonna jump in to Mark chapter two after that scenic view. Here we go, Mark two, verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. They're snacking and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now remember, the Old Testament didn't say that it's wrong to walk through the grain fields and snack. It didn't say that. It just said, don't work. And so what's happening here is the Pharisees are not accusing them of breaking some scripture in the Old Testament. They're accusing them of breaking all these additional laws that had been developed later. And what Jesus does in response I find absolutely amazing because they're like actually Sabbath police at this point, watching Jesus, waiting for him to make a mistake. And look at his response in verse 23. And he said to them, have you ever read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, 
not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. I love Jesus's passive-aggressive response here, don't you? He's talking to who? Pharisees, religious leaders who had memorized the entire Torah, the Old Testament. They knew everything from Genesis to Malachi. They, they were familiar with the law inside and out. And Jesus's response is so funny. He's like, have you not ever read the Bible? You've never read that, right? That's like asking a theologian at a seminary school, like, oh, so you've not like read Genesis? Real cool, okay? That's what Jesus is doing here. Now, what I love is what he actually says. He could have said something like this. Well, actually, now that you mention it, the the thing that you're accusing me and my disciples of doing is nowhere to be found in the Torah. Go look. But he doesn't do that. Instead of saying that, which would have been true, he actually does something even more to dial up the intensity and even to pull back the curtain a little bit on who he is. He actually says something about David. He goes, oh, have you not read the story about David? Which, by the way, they've read the story. They know exactly what he's talking about. And here's what he references. The short version is David goes into the tabernacle when he's on the run from his life from King Saul. And every Sabbath day, the the priest would put out 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And the priest would eat on those 12 loaves of bread and no one else was allowed to eat it except for the priests. David is starving. He's on the run from from Saul for his life. And he goes into the tabernacle, which he wasn't even allowed to go into. He grabs the bread, which he wasn't allowed to touch. He eats it and he shares it with his friends, which he was not allowed to do. He breaks all the rules. And yet everybody in Israel is celebrating David as the greatest king that has ever lived and the one that they were hoping his son would eventually come to reign and rule over Israel. And Jesus goes, hey, you know that story? Y'all aren't mad about David doing that. Well, I'm doing the same thing. And in fact, by saying this, what Jesus is doing is he's tipping off his hat and he's saying, hey, friends, I'm the son of David that you guys have actually been waiting for this whole time. Now, that might sound like a stretch because we're American and, you know, we don't really have a tradition of talking a lot about King David and all these things. But if you were a Jewish person, especially in the first century, you knew a lot about David. There were promises in scripture that you are looking to be fulfilled about David's son who is going to come as the true king, the true Messiah to redeem Israel from their enemies. Here's an example, Jeremiah 23, verse five. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. So everybody's wondering, when is this righteous branch of David gonna come? In fact, here's another piece of of information that I find fascinating is every Sabbath day, if you were a Jewish person, you would gather in the synagogue and there were prayers that you would recite and pray. Listen to one of the prayers that you would be reciting every single Saturday morning if you were a Jew in the first century. Cause the branch of David thy servant speedily to sprout and let his horn be exalted by thy salvation, right? Every Sabbath, you're actually praying for the son of David to show up, to bring peace, to come. And here's what, again, James Edwards has to say. He says, in scripture, tradition, and liturgy, David was enshrined as the inaugurator of a future messianic reign that would be even more glorious than his historical reign, 
So think about this. Jesus turns to these religious leaders that are Sabbath police saying, oh, are you eating on the Sabbath? And he goes, oh, have you not read the story about David where he did this thing? Well, hey, I'm the truer, better son of David. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the one that you're, you're, you just prayed the prayer of this morning. I'm, I'm him. I'm here and I'm on the scene and you religious leaders have missed the forest for the trees. That's the first story. Second story, chapter three, verse one. Again, he entered the synagogue and we don't know if this was sometime later, months, weeks, we don't know. He entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand, a hand that wasn't fully formed or didn't fully work. And look at this. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. How distorted and dark can your heart get? And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. Can you imagine being present for this moment? You're kind of trying to hide your hand. You're there in the audience. Jesus is like, hey, come here. Stand up with me. Come here. Verse four. And he said to them, to these religious leaders, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. They couldn't even answer a simple question. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. I love the depth of emotion that Jesus is feeling in this moment. Anger, grief, sorrow, compassion for this man who who, his hand is withered grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Now, again, this is an easier story to swallow if you think of the religious leaders as the bad guys. Well, of course they would respond that way. Those are the bad guys. But you're not supposed to read the story that way. Imagine that you're someone who's serious about God. You're someone that takes God seriously. You're someone that actually wants to follow Jesus with your whole life. You're someone that actually wants to honor God with your lifestyle. You're someone that is like, no, I really want to be the one that's like doing the right thing because I I want to follow after the heart of Jesus. And yet somewhere along the way, something has crept up in your heart where you're confused now to the degree where you're actually watching Jesus to see if he's gonna heal somebody, not so that you can celebrate the kingdom of God breaking in, not so that you can lift up your hands in awe of God's power to heal someone, not so that you can be amazed at the heart of Jesus for people who have even smaller things wrong with them. No, you're actually watching what Jesus is going to do so that you can accuse him. These religious leaders somewhere along the way, started to drift. They drifted so badly that on the Sabbath day, they're both waiting to see if Jesus is gonna heal and plotting his death after he does. Now, this is fascinating. When Jesus says the the question, hey, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? He's referencing what he's about to do to the man with the withered hand. But when he goes on to say, to save life or to kill, what is he referencing there? He knows the intentions of their heart that in just a few moments, they're gonna go out of the synagogue and plot his own death. So think of the irony here, friends. He, he's dealing with a group of people that don't think it's right to heal on the Sabbath, but they think it's right to plan someone's murder on the Sabbath. 
So what are we supposed to take away from these stories? Well, two quick things that I want you to see. Number one, the dangers of legalism. The dangers of legalism. God gave the Sabbath as a gift to his people. Not a burden, something to form them as unique in the world. I want you to work six days. I want you to have fun and rest and enjoy one day. God gave this to his people to teach them how to not just be, you know, crusty, angry, stressed out, anxious all the time, but to actually have a a day where they can celebrate and delight and feast and worship and slow down and encounter the presence of God. And yet over time, this discipline, this command that God had given his people to rest turned into something that was so, so different than that. It was a burden. It was broken. It got distorted and twisted. No longer was it about delight. No longer was it about feasting. No longer was it about rest, encountering the presence of God. It became about, I got to keep all the right rules. Friends, this is what the human heart tends to do again and again and again with the gifts that God gives us. We take these good, good gifts that he gives us and we distort them and we twist them over time and, and things like Bible reading and things like scripture and prayer and community and gathering with the church and all these things. Over time, if you and I are not careful, we have our, our hearts and they're bent towards legalism, taking these gifts that God has given and all of a sudden it stops becoming about encountering the presence of God and it starts becoming about executing this thing the exact right way. When you drift into that, you're missing the whole point. Friends, like God doesn't want you to read the Bible because he has this giant heavenly calendar and he's like, oh, you missed Thursday? Well, that just makes every Thursday for the last three months. So I don't like you anymore and you're on out. No, that's not the heart. It's like, hey, I want to meet with you. I want to speak to you. I want to encounter you. I want you to encounter me. I want you to be formed and shaped by my word. This is not a heavy burden. Just come and read scripture so that we can be together. I want you to pray, not because it's like God likes it when we pray. He, he likes us. <laughs> he wants to be with us. He wants to talk to us. He wants us to talk with him. What has happened in Oklahoma that we have taken all these good gifts that God has given us and we've bent them towards legalism where like the goal has become, I've got to execute the right things in the right way. That's not The point, you and I, we so often drift into legalism. This is what happened to the Pharisees. Like, you know that you're starting to become a Pharisee if you find yourself experiencing these disciplines as more drudgery than delight, as more like, I just have to do it, rather than this is something that God has laid out for me, set a table so that I can come and sit and dine with him. Now, that doesn't mean that every time we read scripture, it's like, you know, Jesus shows up and brews you coffee and you feel like, wow, I can really go into my Monday. There are times where it feels like this is a discipline. This is a practice that I have to do even if I don't feel it. But don't miss the heart, friends. Don't miss the point. Why are we doing these things? You know that you become a Pharisee if you're just always judgmental towards other people. Always critical. Always nitpicky. Like, do you leave your encounters with people more aware of what's off or wrong or broken? Like, if that's you, friends, we are the Pharisees in this story. Don't you get it? Like, we are the ones that often miss the plot line and just are doing the thing, and the heart of God gets completely lost and missed in the process. The dangers of legalism. This is a sober warning for us. Here's the second thing I want you to see the equal and opposite danger 
of license. Now, when I say license, I'm just trying to describe something opposite of legalism. If legalism is way over here, then this idea of license is over here. A legalist is someone who is really concerned with all of the rules and all of the, I've got to do, do, do. Someone who is licensed over here is like, oh, let's just forget all of that stuff. We don't need any of that anymore. And this story, I think, actually is profound because of the way that Jesus handles the Sabbath. Notice in this story that his response to the Pharisees isn't, oh, the Sabbath? Ah, forget that. That's an Old Testament thing. Oh, the Sabbath? No, that's just some rule that I, you know, made up a long time. We don't even need to worry about that. I came to undo all of that stuff. Oh, the Torah? I'm here to change it. Ignore it. You don't even need to focus on that anymore. That, that was for then. This is now. No, that's not the way that Jesus responds. Rather, Jesus has something to say about the law and even about holiness in the Sermon on the Mount that you need to remember. Let me just read it to you, Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice that Jesus doesn't dog on the Pharisees. He actually says, you need to be even more holy than them. They didn't go all the way. You need to be even more righteous than them. They didn't go all the way, right? Here's what my point is that when you notice people abusing things and turning into legalists and everything becomes uh, this legalistic culture of read scripture, prayer, Sabbath, whatever, the, the response to that isn't just to abandon it altogether. Did you know that abuse of a good thing doesn't warrant neglect on our part, right? Abuse of a good thing does not warrant neglect on our part. And friends, this is a tension that you and I have to walk. It's a tightrope where there actually are things for us to do as followers of Jesus, but don't become a legalist, right? How do you walk that tightrope? Notice how Jesus says it to their culture about the Sabbath in Mark 2, 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's setting them free, saying, friends, you weren't made to keep this rule. That's not why you were made. You were made for communion with the living God. And I made you, I gave you this command to aid you in that process. They needed to desperately hear the second part of that verse. You were not made for the Sabbath. What do you think our culture needs to hear today? Do you think that our culture is like super wrapped up in legalism about the Sabbath? Most of us in this room don't even practice a regular Sabbath. Like, we don't live in a culture where we have a fence around the law. Most of us don't have any rules of any kind at all. So what you and I, I think, need to hear desperately in our culture is the first half of that sentence. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Friends, some of you today need to hear, I've given you the gift of Sabbath, God is saying. I made it for you. Do you want to receive it? Some of us are fatigued and exhausted and worn down, and it's because you and I have a busy, anxious heart, and God is inviting us into a rhythm where we work hard for six days, and we rest for one. 
So where do we go from here? Well, just a few things and I'll close. I want to invite you, practice taking a weekly Sabbath. Build in an actual 24-hour period and send everything through the grid of, is this rest and is this worship? This is something that for the last almost three years, my wife and my uh, kids and I have been doing consistently. Our Sabbath is on Friday night to Saturday night. Most people, probably Saturday night to Sunday night's a better option, but since I'm a pastor and what I'm doing right now is not super restful to me, although I enjoy it, this is a work day for me. Uh, for me, my Sabbath is Friday night, Saturday night, and we're like a little Jewish family. We literally, Friday night, we light two candles and we ask our kids, what do these candles represent? Um, one of our daughters will say, uh, the command to remember the Sabbath and keep the Sabbath. And our other daughter will say, to rest and to worship, because that's the grid we send everything through. Is this rest or is this worship? And it's a day where we try to say yes to fun. We don't have a to-do list. We don't go shopping uh, just to kind of quiet our hearts from all the uh, constant noise of wanting and wanting to purchase more things. We just enjoy one another, and we try to say yes to a lot. So we start the day with cinnamon rolls, and then if they ask for candy by like 9.45 a.m., I'm like, yep, because it's Sabbath. And so now it's like every night before bed, they're like, is tomorrow Sabbath? You know? It's like, no, we just had Sabbath. Today was actually the Sabbath. Uh, and so... But they love it. They love it. And it's a day where it's like, we're going to you know, send my wife off to the coffee shop by herself to have some alone time. And I'm going to do some reading at some point, And we're going to play with the kids. And it's a day to delight. It's a day to rest. It's a day to worship. Friends, I just want to invite you. Take a Sabbath. Not like a set. Take a 24-hour period every week and Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. That's one of the takeaways from this story. If you're a legalist about it, it's like, lighten up. By the way, yesterday on my Sabbath, I had to mow my lawn because I was out in Santa Fe all week and it rained like a monsoon the week before that. My grass was like up to here. Like I couldn't see my kids when they went out in the front yard. So I had to mow, right? So it's like, that, that's not restful. I don't enjoy it. I hate mowing my lawn. But it's not legalism, right? It's not like God's like, oh, you do, forget this one. You know, you just screwed this Sabbath up royally because you mowed the lawn. It's not the way, it's like, I had to mow. Sorry about that, I'll have a better one next week. Don't be a legalist about it, but enjoy the gift that God has given. Last thing I want you to do is interrogate your heart for legalism or for license. And what's interesting is sometimes you can actually find both in the same heart. Figure out, like, am I slipping in my spiritual practices and just kind of drifting into like, ah, I don't do anything. You know that no relationship is cultivated by doing nothing. Same with your relationship with God the Father. Nothing is cultivated if you do nothing. So actually, process, am I like drifting here? Or maybe, maybe there's places in your heart where you've lost the plot line. And it's become about, if I just do this thing right, then God will love me. Friends, his love for you is literally not dependent on one single thing that you do. What is his love dependent on? The Father so loved the world that he sent his Son so that we who are dead might be made alive, so that those of us who are in darkness could be brought to the light. On the cross, his body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you so that you could be forgiven and brought in as sons and daughters. His love and commitment and devotion to you has nothing to do with you. It's actually about him. How freeing is that? That you are loved today no matter what.